Goeie jylle, het was, uh, was graag gewees. Um, ja, gids, as, as mens die heren gehoor het, dier die worship en gehoor het wat die boodskap is wat gekom het, dan het jylle nie eindelijk eers nodig om te hoor wat, wat ek vir jylle gaan sê nie, want dit is klaar gesê. So, het is eindelijk amazing as dit gebeur. So, Vanochtend kon die mens hoor dat die heren wil hee ons met sy stem hoor. Nou, hy het, ges, hy het gesê, hy wil graag hee ons met hoor wat hy vir ons te sê het. En dan het al boodskap het deurgekom, soos dat ons hou aan goed vast. En dat die heren wil vir ons hoop gee. En die heren wil ons losmaak van sekere dinge. So, mens kan sien, daar is een intieme verhouding tussen die Jesus en sy, en sy mense. En dis wat achter hy aan is. Nee, hy is nie achter dogmatiek aan nie, nee, die heren is nie achter vergaderings en bijeenkomste en een stel reels aan nie, hy is achter een verhouding aan. So, I was asked to prepare something that was in a particular line that was aligned with what we've been talking about. I did it in English, I can do it in Afrikaans, no problem, but uh, I'm going to speak to you in English because there's some people here that that I think also need to hear this, um, that don't understand us. So I'm going to be switching between the two a little bit this morning, so if you forgive me for that. And, uh, you know, lately we've been talking about the following things. We've been talking about the Word. There seems to have been a focus switching back to the Word. But specifically, we've been looking at what's behind the context of the Word, the message of the Word. And the message of the word is really finding Jesus himself, right? It's finding the Jesus behind the word. That's really what it's all about. And we've been thinking about that. And this morning, I just wanted to share a short passage of scripture with you and look at an interaction. So my, my thinking this morning is around the interaction with Jesus. And you clearly saw that come out of the, the motive of the worship this morning and our time together. Let me just check my time here, 10.14. So I'm going to keep you here until 12 o'clock. But, uh, but there's this interaction that takes place. When you, when you read your scripture or when you listen to your audio Bible, for some people it's easier to listen. Some people in the world are not literate. It's very difficult for them to, some people can't read because they might not have eyesight. So it comes, this word, this message that comes to us, and we've got to find the Jesus behind the message. That's really the important thing. And we do this as a collective. And uh, the story that I want to look at this morning is an interaction, a physical interaction that took place between Jesus and someone. And let's see what happened, what went down in this interaction. And then we can learn some things from that and see how that applies to us. And then we can, we can uh, hopefully take some truths out of that. So the text I want to share with you is in Mark. Let's see what we're going to do. Anders kan ek nie my bril vinnig op en af kry. Hier blur dit, daar sien ek alles. That's a lot better. So Mark 10, 17. If you can just put that on the board for us. I'm reading from the NIV, but it's in the ESV and Afrikaans there. It says here that as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. 
do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. I don't know about you, but this, this little story has really challenged me. In the past and even now, it's a very challenging story. But do not fear. Jesus is not necessarily telling you to sell all your goods, give it, a, give it away to the poor, and go and live under a tree. He might. But uh, for the majority of people, that's not the case. But what we do see here, though, is that there's a journey. Jesus is on a journey. And I want you to see that. It says that Jesus was, was going along on his journey. And at the same time, there's this young man, and all the Gospels tell the same story, but they tell it from a different perspective. You'll notice that there are differences in the Gospel accounts of this particular story. And there's a reason for that. It's because they're all highlighting something else. The reason I chose this Markan account is because there are some unique things in this account that I think applies to us. And the young man is also on a journey. And I want to say to you that you and I, we're also on a journey. We're on the journey of life. But at some point in time, your journey needs to collide with the journey of Jesus. And at this point in time... This young man, his journey collides with Jesus. And I want to look at this collision, this interaction of his life, his journey, with Jesus' journey. And I want to look at it from three different perspectives. The first one is the approach. What was the approach behind this? The second one is then the interaction itself. And then thirdly, I want to look at the result. And first, we want to look at the story of the physical interaction between this young man and Jesus. And then I just want to give you an example of somebody in life that actually took this and applied it. And then I want to come back to ourselves and say, but what does it look like for us in terms of our approach, our interaction, and the result? So firstly, you'll notice that this young man, when he comes to Jesus, he runs up to him. It says that he came running. And then he knelt before him. So you almost think about the rugby players that are coming back from the World Cup. And people are storming towards the bus. They run towards the bus. They want to get close to their hero and see the person from up close. Maybe touch them. Maybe get a signature. And this young man, his approach to Jesus is like that. He comes storming along, falls on his knees, and then he asks Jesus a question. So when he asks Jesus the question, you notice there's spiritual curiosity here. So firstly, we see there's enthusiasm, but then we see that there's spiritual curiosity. He wants to know something. He's not just asking any ordinary question. He actually doesn't ask a question in the line that the Pharisees would typically do it, to trap him. He actually wants to know something. And he wants to know something that's very significant, which is how can I inherit eternal life? Now, you would have heard this morning 
in the worship, there was this idea of inheritance that was shared. Joshua, Caleb, inheritance. This is the theme here. He wants to know how can he inherit eternal life. He mustn't read that as just getting into heaven. He wants to experience the kingdom. He wants to know how to accomplish that. And then Jesus answers him. And here's the interaction that goes down between the two of them. So there's spiritual awareness, and Jesus responds back to him, and he says to him, why do you call me good? Which is kind of a strange response. No one in the ancient world would have made that comment. It's a staggering comment that Jesus makes. It's actually quite a shocking thing to say that no one is good except God. But he does it in a very particular way. And if you could put Mark 2, 7 on the board there, this is the exact way that the Pharisees would accuse Jesus. He uses the same exact language that the Pharisees would use. In Mark 2, 7, they're accusing Jesus because he says to a lame man that he's just healed, he says, your sins are forgiven. And then they say to him, who can forgive sins except God alone? And Jesus takes that phraseology of accusation towards him, and he puts it back to the young man, and he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And what Jesus is doing is he's building a foundation to explain that divine goodness can only be found in him. He's building the foundation to explain that the goodness of God is inside him, Jesus himself. And if you wanted eternal life, if you wanted to experience the kingdom, if you wanted an inheritance, rich young ruler, you need to find me. Because all that goodness is inside of me. And just in that one little piece of, of that one sentence, and actually, you can think that this conversation must have been gone, uh, going down for at least you know, maybe an hour or so, they must have been going back and forwards, communicating. We get like the summarized version. But Jesus is building this foundation to explain that goodness really can only be found in him. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. You want to experience all of that or any of that, it's found in Jesus. The Jesus that's sitting in our context behind the scriptures. Remember, we said we don't worship the text. We worship the Jesus of the text. The words themselves only have meaning if we can find the Jesus behind the word. And at this point in time, obviously, the New Testament doesn't exist. So there's a communication, a verbal communication that's taking place. So there's this idea of goodness that Jesus is building a foundation for. And then secondly, once again, still as part of this interaction, it says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Now, I want to say to you, in your interaction with Jesus, in my interaction with Jesus, Jesus looks, he takes, he puts his attention upon him. He looks at him. He doesn't just disregard this. I mean, who's this guy that's now coming, storming up to me, go as like a dismissive, important person, dismissing someone that is seeking his attention. He actually looks at him and puts his attention on him. And when we have an interaction with Jesus, he puts his attention on you. You can pose any question you want to him. He will 
put his attention on you. Might not give you the answer that you want. But he puts his attention on you. And then it says he loved him. Jesus puts his love on you when you have an interaction with him. Isn't that an amazing thing? That this young guy comes storming towards Jesus. He runs up to him. He asks him a question. And Jesus loves him. He puts his love upon him. And it's using the language of a love that's a decision, a choice that he places upon this young man. I don't know how they knew this. You know, as Mark writes the account, he gets his information from Peter. But somehow there must have been a discussion. And you, you, you must have been able to see that Jesus actually loves the guy. What that tells us is that he's going to give you what is required within that context. So this is the interaction that goes down physically. And then we want to see the result. And the result for this particular young man is beyond the Ten Commandments. He answers in a very strange way. What do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, well, you just need to fulfill the commandments. You need to not, you know, kill people, and you need to not slaughter your neighbor, you, not, you know, commit adultery and, and steal and do all these things. But if you look at the Ten Commandments, you'll notice in this particular account, he tells him not to defraud anybody. And instead of saying, don't covet, he says, don't defraud anybody, which is kind of a strange thing to do. For this particular individual, that was what was required. But it's important to see that Jesus doesn't just stick to the Ten Commandments. When we have an interaction with Jesus, it will be beyond rules. It will move beyond the pure rules that we sometimes think are relevant. And we're going to come back to that. Secondly, it's highly specific. It's specific to this individual. He gives him that particular sentence. He gives him that particular command because it is what was required for that young man to not defraud. Now, he's rich. He's young. He's clearly important. We know that from the three different accounts of his life. And he receives this very specific word. And then there's a response and there's a lot of emotion in this response. So the result of an interaction with Jesus often has an emotional component associated with it. Somebody once said that they can't understand it. But whenever they, they worship or there's an engagement with Jesus, they're busy they're bawling their eyes out. Have you noticed that sometimes you, you tend to cry? Some people cry a lot. Some people laugh a lot. But there's emotion involved. But the emotion from this young man's perspective was twofold. Surprise. He was very surprised and shocked. What? He's saying that I should sell all my goods and give it to the poor. What? Surprise. Shock. And then there's disappointment that he's saddened. He says he went away saddened. You could also... Translate that as grieved. He was grieved. It's like, oh my goodness. And this young man can't, it's a bridge too far. Just can't make that jump from what he was told to do to actually executing on. It says he went away grieved, saddened. So this is 
the little interaction that took place between the rich young ruler and Jesus. And I, I want to extract some, some things from this that I think are relevant for us, but I want to tell you a story first. There was this guy in the 12th century called Peter Waldo. And Peter Waldo, he was a rich young ruler. He was rich, he was wealthy, he was a merchant, he was in Lyon, in France, and he was quite uh, well-known, had lots of friends, which tends to happen when you're a rich young ruler, and he was having parties. And at his house, he had this party and had all his friends over, and they were having a nice, good time. And somebody, must have been a close friend, had a seizure, and the person died. And Waldo is very disturbed about this, and he starts thinking about his soul and life beyond the grave. What is going to happen beyond the grave? And he starts investigating. Now he, there's a spiritual interest that rises up inside him. Remember, we said this young man had spiritual interest. There was a curiosity. But his is beyond curiosity, just pure intellectual curiosity. He's worried about his soul. And he starts going to church because that's what you do, right? In the 12th century, you're off to church. And there he goes to church and he is subjected to all these rituals. And it's all in Latin and he doesn't understand anything. And uh, they're telling you, they talk about purgatory and they talk about the indulgences and you, you can buy your salvation and so on. And he becomes very disillusioned with all of this. It's like, this is, this is crazy. I, I don't understand this. It's not helping me. Because he's rich. He can get some priests involved. And he invites some priests over to his house. And what do they do? They take the Bible, the Gospels especially, and they translate them. He gets these priests to come and translate it for him. So that he could read the Scriptures. So he goes back to what does the word actually say instead of what are all these rituals, these Latin rituals that, that he couldn't understand telling him. And as they do that, he starts reading the Gospels and hearing the message. It, it really grips him. And there are some texts that really grip him. The one is in, in Luke 12 where it says that man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. This is a scripture that really gripped him. And then he read this account of the rich young ruler. And then where Jesus says, go, sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have an eternal inheritance. You will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. And Waldo is, is, is gripped so much by this command that he decides this is what he's going to do. And he sells everything. And he gives everything to the poor. He physically actually does that. So here's a guy who took the same story. He heard the message. He applied it to his own life and he physically did it. And the poor surround, he gets surrounded by the poor. And they actually become known as the poor. They didn't call themselves anything other than they were just poor people. They did not use the language of the church by calling themselves priests or anything else. They were just known as the poor. Well, what happens if you start 
reading your Gospels and understanding the message of Jesus behind the text, and your life starts changing. He starts seeing the doctrinal challenges that are happening in the church and all the things that the church at that point in time is doing. Now, you've got to understand, these are the Middle Ages. I mean, it is chaos. There's so much violence. There's so much abuse. Life, I don't know if I'm going to have time to tell you some of it, but I might have, and I might give you some snippets in terms of insights of what was going on in society. But it's hectic. But while those life changes, so the church starts investigating him. And the bishop wants to know who these people, what are they doing, what are they up to, and what is this new movement? But Waldo never wanted to do this outside the church. He wanted to do it inside the church. He wanted to actually change, see change happening from within. And uh, they investigate him. And the more he reads scripture and the more he understands scripture, the more the community is coming to an understanding of what the gospels are teaching. The more he says... We have to follow the commandments of Jesus. We have to live according to what Jesus is telling us, especially the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, <laughs> who is living a life that follows the Sermon on the Mount? It's quite a challenge, let me tell you. But that's what they, they, they believe. They said, this is the way we should live. And we shouldn't be so absorbed by collecting goods by being wealthy, by having material possessions, particularly that movement. They called them the Waldensians. And then at one point in, in, in time, in the 13th century, the Bible, because it's translated into the vernacular, these people remember that there's no printing press. It's not that like you go tap, 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 and you've downloaded how many Bibles on your, on your phone. I looked yesterday, maybe I've got, I don't know, 10 or 15 Bibles on my phone. There you can't get a hold of anything. You've got to go to the church. There's only one copy. And if you want something, it's got to get copied by hand. And what these people start doing is they're saying, people need to know this. And they start copying the word. They copy it by hand and they distribute pieces of scripture. And they preach the word. They share this with people. Well, the Catholic Church is not all that happy about that. So what do they do? They have a council, the Council of Valencia. And at the Council of Valencia, the Bible is put on the list of forbidden books. You're not allowed to read your Bible in the vernacular. You are allowed to go to church, and then the church will administer it to you. But you're not allowed to do it on your own. So people, we are so privileged that we can just flip open a book or flick through a phone and be able to hear the message of Jesus. These people didn't have that. And these Waldensians start being persecuted. And they are hunted down, slaughtered, butchered for their faith, tortured, imprisoned for the next 500 years. In the 17th century, Cromwell, Oliver Cromwell, actually had a fast committed to protect the Waldensians because they were suffering so much. They were hunted all across Europe. But wherever they went, they distributed the word and they preached that we need to engage with Jesus. We need to engage with Jesus. We need to know what he says to us. That was the message they carried everywhere. And for that, they were hunted down for centuries, 500 years, 
And it only ended in the 17th century when finally the Waldensians wasn't persecuted like that anymore. And maybe in a bit I'll tell you what was going on in Europe. Lots and lots of people. Maybe I'll just I'll tell you one story. I'll just tell you one story just because we're here this morning. But just uh, give some context. Uh, there was a guy called Admiral Coligny. He was, he was in France. And um, there was, a, I was trying to remember the guy's name, Henry of, of Guise, G-U-I-S-E, Henry of Guise. He had this, there was a persecution taking place. They were hunting down the, the people in general. Anybody that was opposing, standing in opposition to the Catholic Church was being hunted down. And uh, there was the, this massacre, the day of St. Bartholomew, that's quite well known, that took place in 1572. And uh, that during that night, Coligny was murdered because of his opposition to what the church was teaching, that you can buy salvation and indulgences, and you, you, know, you can sort of whittle away at your sin by, by paying certain things, and then beyond the grave you could do the same, because it's not what they saw in Scripture. And on that day, some 30,000 people that were protesting against this, this kind of doctrine, having learned it from Scripture, having seen it in Scripture, having seen the message of Jesus from Scripture, they were all slaughtered for their faith. As a matter of fact, in Holland, you might not know this, but the three million people of Holland were the Duke of Alba committed them all to, as heretics to, to death, the entire nation, children, women, everybody. They were, they were called heretics and because there was a, a movement where people were actually going back to the Scriptures and saying, well, what is Jesus actually telling us instead of all these things that were going down in society? But now, what does this mean to us? I want to get back to that. So we see somebody that's applied this in real life and uh, how that applied to them. And then I want to give us just maybe one or two things that, uh, and there might be other things that uh, you would see, but uh, that I think are important for us. The first thing in terms, we're thinking about the approach, the interaction, and the result, right? The approach. Jesus said that, let him who hear, have ears, let him hear. Be careful, therefore, how you hear, how you listen. And he's talking specifically about the receipt of the word. Be very careful how you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Mark, in Mark chapter 4, you can go and read that. Mark 4, what is that? Did I give you that verse? Mark 4, 23. Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So this is like baking. My daughter loves baking. She goes into the kitchen, and then she loves to pull out all the pots and pans and measuring cups and things, and then she starts baking. She makes a complete mess of the kitchen, and we have to consistently ask her to clean up. But you know, when you don't know what to do when you're baking a cake, you've got to use measuring cups. Now for you experts out there, you can sort of gauge how much a bit of this and a bit of that Somebody like me, I've got to follow the recipe. And there's a measuring cup that you use. And you take that cup, and then you pour whatever it is inside the cup, and you measure. And that's what you put in your bowl for your mixture. And Jesus is saying there's a measuring cup that you use for the word. 
And the size of your measuring cup will determine what you receive because you're holding out your cup to Jesus and you say to him, fill up my cup, please. I'm having an interaction with you this morning. Here's my cup. And some of us, the cup is this size. It's this size. And for some people, it's this size. For, for Peter Waldo, his measuring cup was large. He wanted Jesus to fill up his measuring cup so that he could live it out. So the approach starts with a measuring cup. What is your approach to your measuring cup in terms of what Jesus is going to put in your cup regarding the word, the message that you're receiving? That's the first part of the, the approach. The second one I've mentioned already is that your journey needs to collide with the journey of Jesus. You're on a personal journey. But when we come to the text and we're aiming for an interaction with Jesus, our journey needs to collide with the journey of Jesus. Our journey comes underneath His. Our journey gets aligned with His. That's the approach. Make sense? And then there's the interaction. The interaction is very specific for this young man. You will notice that he moves beyond the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, to a very specific command. And then he jumps to another command that he gives him on the spot to go and sell his stuff. And that command that he gives to him is very specific to him. So the interaction that you have with Jesus when you have your big measuring cup and it gets filled up with a message from Jesus will be specific to you. It will be relevant to your journey. Sometimes, I'll tell you this, I was just kind of busy, you know, on the oldest weekend, we were meeting there, and I had this thought, I was thinking about somebody that I hadn't seen for probably 15 years, and I was thinking about this person. You know how that happens. You think about something, you're busy reading, and your mind drifts, and you think about something, and you kind of just dismiss it and move on. Then we take a break in between, a lunch break, and Ilana and I rush off quickly to go and get something to eat. And we needed to do some things for the kids and so on, and we've got maybe two hours or so. Who do we bump into at the shop? That same lady. Hadn't seen her in 15 years. What do you think when that happens to you? You notice the person immediately. You remember... You were thinking about that person when you were reading scripture, and you know Jesus is busy doing something. Something's happening here. And I think the message for her was, he's calling you back. You left a long time ago. There were some things that happened that were maybe not good. Maybe there was a bit of offense. There were things that were, maybe you weren't with, dealt with the way that you should have. And so on. But Jesus is calling you back. And we were subtly able to share that message with her. Without, without her even knowing. I think he's calling you back. And now she's visiting again on that side. But it was amazing how somebody could just come to your mind. And then this happens. The key is the interaction with Jesus. We must see that he's busy. And he's busy all the time. 
busy in the finest detail, but we miss it because our measuring cups are small. We have a small measuring cup. Large measuring cup notices these things. People, and I, I want to say, we all miss it eh, all the time. But the call this morning was Jesus doesn't want, want it to be that way. So the next part of the interaction with Jesus is that it's filled with focus and with love. He pays attention to the young man and he loves him. And he will do the same with you and me. Whatever it is that you take into that interaction, you can share with him. You can be grumpy. Jesus is quite robust. He's okay with that. He can handle it. You know, you see, watch David moan at God. Or Habakkuk, you know, Habakkuk is moaning at God. It's like, what's going on in this society of ours? And God is so gracious, he responds to him. He will do the same for you and me. So it's specific. It's filled with goodness. We must know this. In our interaction with Jesus, it's covered in goodness and love. And goodness means that whatever it is that Jesus is saying to the rich young ruler or saying to you and me is goodness itself. It flows out of goodness. It's never to do harm. He didn't intend to do this young guy harm. Actually, physically, this guy was meant to follow him. This person, have you, have you thought of this? He would have been one of the disciples. He would have been one of those people that was praying in the upper room and got filled powerfully by the Spirit. He would have been one of those people. Maybe he would have been an apostle that wrote Scripture. Who knows what would have happened? But all of that he missed because of this particular command. It was a very severe command. I mean, it was a, the standard was up here. It's like, leave everything and come and follow me, which he couldn't do. But your, your command that Jesus gives you or the interaction with Jesus will be coming from a position of goodness and of love. If you don't see that, you will not respond. You'll think it's too difficult or I'm thinking back of a scenario where somebody was really offended with me and uh, I needed to go and apologize to the person. And I sat, although I'd done it before, I needed to do it again. It wasn't for me as much as for him. But I needed, maybe it was for both of us. I went after one of those uh, get-togethers. We had one of the gatherings and sat down with him. And just had a read. I said, I said, I'm so, so, so sorry. I really am. I just really messed up. And I'm so sorry that I said this or said that or did this. I had to respond to Jesus. And if I hadn't done that, you know, God wouldn't be angry at me, but it'll still cost me. And maybe somebody else's freedom. And then there are a couple of things that, that I want to talk to you just with regards to the result. And maybe we'll mention them quickly and then we'll close. There's some things that will come naturally in this interaction. Jesus will tell you to do some things or ask you or in your engagement with him, things that will come naturally. So the young man is able to say to Jesus, I've done all these things since my youth. Actually, it came quite easy. He was actually quite confident about that. And it potentially looks like it was true. He's a good guy. He's not a person that's off doing his own thing. He's actually a good guy. Some things will, will, will come easy and come naturally. Those are the ones, those are the messages we want. <laughs> yeah, the ones that come easy. The ones that don't come so easy. 
which is the next point. Jesus moves from that to the next point, which does not come easy, and that's where the discomfort comes in. In your interaction with Jesus, there will be some things that are going to cause discomfort. I want to say to you, I think Jesus is telling us, don't follow the path of least resistance. Don't follow the path of least resistance. We heard the word this morning, Josh and Caleb. Caleb said, give me that mountain. Give me that mountain. I'm still strong. I want to take that mountain. And he went back to Joshua. He said, you know, 40 years ago, I said with you, we're going to take these guys. Nobody else listened. Now, now, this was promised to me. Now, give me that mountain. And he went and he took the mountain. He took it by force and violence. He went in there and took his inheritance because God said he'd given it to him. There's a lot of discomfort in there, right? He could have balked just like the others, but he didn't. So there's some things that Jesus asks us to do in his interaction with us. The message that will come to you is going to cause a lot of discomfort. It's the reality. But you have to see that it flows out of goodness. It's because Jesus wants the best for you. So there will always be progression. You see this with a young man. There's progression. I want to not just do these little commands. I also want you to start having a look at do not defraud anybody. And then, by the way, I want you to move beyond that. Then I want you to go for the jugular. I want, to, I want you to sell all your stuff. Give it to the poor. There will be progression. Sometimes things will become progressively uncomfortable. Progressive discomfort. But because it comes out of goodness, it will be tolerable. Jesus promised us that my burden is easy, my yoke is light. Because the yoke, you know that the yoke that was fitted on the oxen in the ancient, in ancient times, it fitted that ox perfectly. It was made for that ox. Your yoke fits you perfectly. You'll be able to carry it because it fits you. So we mustn't see it as, as, as a hectic, oh, just bear up and grin, you know. <sighs> it's never meant to be that way. Because the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's the grace of God that does that. The favor. Somehow when you look back upon a year, you say, geez, that was a tough year. But I never saw it while I was in it. I knew it was kind of uncomfortable, but I just sort of carried on, you know. But when you look back upon it, gosh, that was actually quite tough. It happened to us last year. But it's because God's grace, His goodness, His favor, His favor towards you, His love towards you, as you respond to Him, is in the moment. It's in that moment. And so you build your relationship. And so you progress. I said there's progression. And then at the end, coming back to the word again, there's an inheritance. Jesus is saying, maybe even if you don't experience it in this lifetime, he says to him, do all these things and I'll put treasure in heaven for yourself. There is going to be a reward. You know, Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, as one star differs from another in glory. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. Stars differ in glory. There's going to be differing levels of glory in the heavenlies. Heaven on earth. Our new Jerusalem that comes down upon earth. We're going to live here. But it's going to be without sin. It's going to be fantastic. So there's an inheritance involved. It comes out of the goodness of Jesus. Inheritance involved. And you and I 
will flourish because we will have eternal life, which means that we will experience the kingdom. Experience the kingdom in this lifetime. Peter Waldo, he had a tough time. I can tell you, he must have had a very deep quality of relationship with God. His relationship must have been astounding because he just refused to back down. The same with the disciples. They were all slaughtered for their faith, but they never backed down. Not one. They were all martyred. Oh, I mean, John died of old age, but he was boiled in a pot of oil along the way. So they really struggled. If you notice that Mark and John, they come to Jesus, they want to be the first and the last. They, they wanted to be on the left and on the right of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Mark gets martyred first, and John gets martyred last. They actually got their wish to be on his left and his right. Oh, sorry, James. No, I'm saying Mark. I mean James. Thank you. So let me, let me pray for us. I just want to um, yeah, ask us one or two questions and then pray for us. Okay? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, we have to ask this. Uh, you can't have an interaction with Jesus if, if, you, if you don't come to him. And uh, Jesus is the one that pays the price on the cross with his blood so that you can have a relationship with him, with the Father. He's the one the Spirit gets given it's the spirit that bubbles up inside you, gets given by the Lord Jesus. You, you have to acknowledge that you're a sinner, that you fall short of that which you were meant to be. You fall short of the glory of God. You were meant to be a representative of God on planet Earth, and, and you're not. Maybe there's somebody here that's, this morning that's never done that. I, I do want to give an opportunity. If you've never committed your life to Jesus, no, most of you, most of you would not do that. But even if you want to recommit this morning, I, I want to give an opportunity. Maybe there's a person that wants to recommit this morning. I just want to see your hand. I, I'd, I'd love to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to pray with you. Anybody like that this morning? All okay? We've met Jesus. We know him. Paid for our sin. We know we know we're in the kingdom. He's taken us out of the kingdom of darkness and put us in a kingdom of light. All right. Okay. I want to pray for us because I honestly believe that none of our relationships with Him are necessarily what it should be. If we have to be honest, none of us really have the intimacy with God that we should be having. We always a work in progress, always working in a particular direction. Do you agree with me? Do you disagree? Is there anybody that wants to have their relationship with Jesus deepen? As you read Scripture, we're talking about Scripture now, so we want to read Scripture and really find His, his face be, behind Scripture. Yeah, anybody like that? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so, Lord Jesus, we come to you as your people this morning. We are human we're full of flaws. We're full of idiosyncrasies and shortcomings. Oh God, we, we come to you with an acknowledgement of who you are. 
Jesus, we, we sing songs and we say, all oh, the glory, the glory, the glory is yours. Lord, but if the glory is yours, we need to respond to you. And, and if the glory is yours, we, we need to hear your voice. Your sheep hear your voice. And if the glory is yours, then we need to respond back to you and say, okay, Lord, I heard you say this to me. I want to execute on that. I want to ask you this morning, Lord Jesus, to empower people, number one, to hear your voice. Help us to have big measuring cups, Lord. Help us to enter your presence with a massive expectation. I'm meeting with God this morning. I'm meeting with my Lord Jesus. I'm sitting at his feet. I'm going to listen to him. I want to hear him pour forth truth into my life. I want to see my journey collide with his journey. I want to bring my thoughts, my dreams, my hopes, my shortcomings, my, my sin, everything I want to bring under him. I want to put it at the feet of the cross. Lord Jesus, I want to come to you and hear what you have to say to me so that I can have a deeper, more intimate, a better relationship with you. That's us, God. That's our prayer this morning. But we need your help. We want to ask that you would do that for us. People that, that are listening maybe to an audio bubble, there's a lack of time, God. We're so pressed for time. Five minutes here, five minutes there. Lord, would you come and pierce that five minutes by your, with, with your presence, by your spirit, oh God, to empower your people. As we grow as individuals, we will grow as a church. There will be love and faith found in our community, oh God. And we will be a God-honoring community. Then the glory will be yours because we will be accurate representatives of who you are. We ask you for that this morning. Ask that you come and just flow through your people. I just want to give a moment. I want to ask you just where you are. Just do business with God where you are. You know what's going on in your own mind, your own heart. I just want to give you an opportunity. You do business with God just where you are. If you are closed. want us to end with a song. Just, uh, let's just end with a song where we just sing to God, express our emotions to Him. And then we can close. 
my Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you all of my days. I want to praise the wonders of your mighty My comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength, let every breath, all that I am, never cease to to the Lord all the earth let us sing power and majesty praise to the King mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I love you, forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have. Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you all of my days. I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. Comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength. Let every breath, all that I am, never cease to worship you. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. And mountains bow down, and the seas will roll at the sound of your I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I love you, forever I'll stand. 
And nothing compares to the promise I have. You know, nothing compares to the promise I have. Sing again. Oh, nothing compares to the promise I have. 